So you may have one like this yourself, but this is my tool bag. It's not all my tools. I keep the bulk of the tools in a workbench out in the garage, like probably many people do. The way I work it, again, like I don't think I'm unusual in this way, but whenever I have a project, I put the tools I'm going to need for the project in this bag and then take it to the part of the house where the project happens to be. The projects go best when I have everything I need in this bag. If I don't have everything in this bag, I get really frustrated. I have to start scrambling around, where's the tool I need? And then hopefully the next time I put the things in this bag that are actually needed for the project. We're going to talk a little bit about tools and the tools that we have in our tool bag. Last week we began a sermon series that we're calling Blessed. We're looking at some passages from the New Testament where the writers of the various letters have asked of God a favor on our behalf, that God would bless us, that God would give us things that would help us out, would would be good toward us. And so last week we looked at the blessing of unity. And when we did, we found out that there's something that is already true about that favor. That's already happened, a blessing that's already come to our way. We've also found out that in addition to something being true, that there was something for us to do. There was something that God already provided, was already true, something for us to do, something that we were called to be a part of in that blessing. And then we also learned that there was something that was going to come through, that there was something additional with the blessing that we could anticipate as we move forward in our relationship with God, as we await that time for Jesus to return. Well, this morning, our passage uh, has a blessing for us. In fact, the author of Hebrews asks us, may, or asks of God, may God bless you with everything good that you may do His will. That God would bless us with everything good that we may do as well. Let's go ahead and read our passage for this morning. It is uh, from Hebrews chapter 13, and it's verses 20 and 21. As we stood for the reading of Jeremiah uh, at the beginning of the service, would you stand and and let's just set ourselves apart for uh, just being able to hear the Word of God? The Word of God. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. And may God bless, may God favor us through the reading of His Word. And may God bless our time. May God favor us through our time and conversation together. All right, so before we look at the blessing itself, there are two things that I think might be helpful for us. I'd like us to learn a little bit about us and then learn a little bit about God. So we'll first learn a little bit about us, then we'll learn a little bit about God, then we'll take a look at the blessing in this particular passage. So first, about us. We've said before that if we want to understand a particular passage, it's helpful to look at the literary context it's in, to to look at the larger passage, what just came before it, 
Sometimes even being aware of what's going to come after, it helps us to understand what's going in the piece of Scripture that, that we're taking a look at. So if we happen to go uh, back up the chapter a little bit to verses 14 through 16, I believe we discover three things about us that can be helpful as we look at our passage. Verses 14 through 16 read like this, and again, feel free to use the, the Bibles that we have in the rows for you, and uh, Hebrews is toward the end of, of the Bible. Verses 14 through 16 read like this, for here we have no lasting city. As the people of God here in this world, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him then, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. All right, so three things, three things about us. The first statement is all about that we don't have a lasting city in this world. That was a pretty controversial word in the time. You see, the, the, the greater world at that time, cities were pretty much what you counted upon, that you were identified by your city. You trusted in the gathering of people behind a wall. If there was ever an insecure time, you would retreat behind the wall and you'd be protected within the community. The, the, the city mattered. For the people of God, for the Hebrews, it mattered too because Jerusalem, this is, this is the city of God. This is Mount Zion where, where the temple was, where, where the high priest could meet with the living God and provide sacrifice for our sins. The city was a big deal. The author says, hey, listen, for us, there is no lasting city, but instead we seek the city to come. That in Jesus Christ, that when he came here and he said, listen, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we've talked about it before, that the kingdom of heaven is that domain where God's rule rules, where God's heart rules, where God's character is definitive for all things. And we know that that's true about heaven. And when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is near, it's, he's, he's pulling in what's true about heaven, and he pulls it into our environment, into our context. And so we don't rely on cities here. Our, our trust is not in cities here. We, we don't have a lasting city here. Ours is the city to come when Jesus returns. And what is already true for us now in, in the presence of the kingdom of heaven through Jesus' revelation that we know one day it'll come in its fullness. So we seek a city that is to come. The second thing we learn about uh, followers of Christ is that we're called to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And in particular, it goes on to describe here that the praise to God is fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. So that, that if we're a follower of God, what our life is to be about is that we live under the name of God. And, and so whatever God is about, that's what we want to be about as well, that our words would convey in this world our words and our actions would convey in this world that God is who God is um, and that we would give him and uh, uh, offer up a sacrifice of praise to him. All of our words, all of our life, all that we're about. 
And then the third thing is that we would not neglect to do good or to share what you have. In other words, in positive, to do good and to share what you have. These three things that we, we seek the city to come, that our whole life is, it becomes this offering of praise to God, that, that, that the fruit of our, our lips are, are living under his name, and that we do good and share what we have. So this is the story that God writes for your life. This is the story that God writes for my life. When God writes the story, then we're called to live that story. What's the story of your life? Well, the story God has for you is to seek the city to come, to live a life in which you're offering praise to God, the fruit of your lips, living under his name, that you would do good and share what you have. All right, so if that's a little bit about us, let's learn a little bit about God. In this, we can turn to the first verse in our little passage, verse 20. The first thing we discover is, made the God of peace. We've talked about this before, that God is a God who supplies peace. The Hebrew understanding, peace is all about security and wholeness, comfort, well-being. In the Greek understanding, it's the absence of conflict. And, and given the situation of the audience of the letter to the Hebrews, that, that probably both meanings are coming into play. Wholeness, security, absence of conflict. God is the God who supplies peace. The second thing we learn about God, it goes on to say, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, I, I didn't recognize it at first, but I'm sure every single one of you did. There's this reference to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 11. Did you pick up on that? Actually, when we go back to that text in Isaiah, we find... Um, uh, these words, we, we find the words, where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? So Isaiah's uh, providing this message to the people of God in the time. And he's making a reference to God and what God did during the time of Moses. That God brought his people up out of the sea, the Red Sea, that, that they were facing death before Pharaoh. And, and what God did is he provided a way through, and so he brought his people up with their shepherds. And the whole sense of into the new promised land. God's the one who wrote that story. And so when the author makes a reference to that, he's, he's making a comparison as well. This time, instead of bringing up from the sea, he says that this is the one, that God is the one who brought from the dead Jesus Christ. That in bringing Jesus Christ from the dead, what he did is that he brought forward the great shepherd of the sheep. Not just shepherds, but the great shepherd of the sheep. This is God. God writing his story. God wrote the story of the Old Testament. God was working in the midst of the people in the Old Testament. God is working in the midst of the people through Jesus Christ. This is God's story. He's a God of peace. And then he adds the line, the author adds a line, by the blood of the eternal covenant. There's a place in uh, Jeremiah where Jeremiah uh, um, brings forward the word of God that 
God is establishing a new covenant, a new relationship, a new connection. That there was the old covenant, the covenant through Moses, but, but there's going to be coming a time where God's going to work in a, a new definitive way with his people. And it's not going to be like the old covenant that has a set of laws and you had to work through a whole system of religion, but there's going to be this new covenant in which the word of God would be written on our hearts. The author of Hebrews actually spends some time earlier in the letter talking about the covenant. In chapter 8, verse 8, he says, listen, God finds fault. When we see that there's a new covenant, it helps us understand that God found fault in the people as they tried to apply the first covenant. There wasn't a problem with the first covenant, only that the people couldn't keep it. They, they, they couldn't access God by a set of rules. And if you're trying to follow and access God by a set of rules and you think, I'm just going to be good enough, I'm just going to be good enough, I'll just do a few more things. And the way to please God is just keep doing some more things. We can't do that. There's a problem that, that, that is inherent to who we are that, that can't follow through on that. And so by saying that there's a new covenant, it's to say, listen, God finds fault with us in the old covenant. In verse 13 of chapter 8, it goes on to say, in speaking of a new covenant, God makes the first one obsolete. So that first covenant no longer reigns. Jesus goes, listen, I haven't come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus fulfills that covenant and that the new relationship through Jesus Christ is present here. And then we find in chapter 9, verse 15, the author goes and explains that Jesus' death is the sacrifice that redeems. Those people who had transgressed under the first covenant, it's Jesus' sacrifice. That's what redeems so we can live in, in, in eternal inheritance. Do you see the progression there? God writing the story. God writing the story for salvation, the macro story, the macro narrative that is definitive for all the universe. This is the story God has been and is and will continue to write. So what do we make of this? Well, that there's one story. That there's one story in this world. That this one story, God is the main character. That God is the main character in this story. He's always playing out his story in this world. And if we want the best life ever, we live what God writes. We live the story God writes for us. So what does this look like? Well, let's say you're in a position, you're thinking about which college to attend. Let's say that's your, your, the thing before. It could be retirement. Like, wh where do you want to live your retirement? Or what, what do you want to do with your retirement? Or it could be an office meeting, or it could be which sport you want to go. It could be, any, it could be how, how do you want to live in your marriage? Whatever your situation, let's say you're asking that question. What, what would that look? Well, if, if I'm writing my story, then I'm looking for a marriage that satisfies me. If I'm writing my story, I'm looking for a college that, that fulfills whatever story I'm writing. If I'm writing my story, I'm looking for a retirement that makes me happy. But if I'm looking for a college or a marriage or a retirement or a, a, a next career or a project or whatever it might be, and if I'm, if I'm living God's story, then I approach it differently. By the way, it may be the same college. 
it'll be the same marriage. It's the same context, but it makes all the difference in the world. If I'm going to live my story, then I'm going to live according to how I want it to play out. If I'm going to live God's story, here's what I do. I seek the city that's to come. I, I live offerings of praise, sacrifices of praise, and I do good and I share what I have. It changes everything, even if it's at the same school, even if it's the same place of retirement, even if it's the same, same situation of marriage. If I enter according to the story God is writing, it changes everything. I approach it differently. I have a different agenda that I will live according to. That's a little bit about us. It's a little bit about God, which helps us then to understand the blessing that we're given in the midst of that context. So let's go to the blessing itself, the blessing intended for those who are living the story God writes. And here, let's take a look at verse 21. And here's the blessing. May God equip you with everything good that you may do His will that you could live his story wherever you happen to be. May God equip you with everything good. In other words, and I know it's kind of a crass way of talk, talking about because we're not just projects, we're, and the things he gives us aren't just tools, but we're going to use that analogy for this morning. May God give you all the tools that you, are necessary for you to be able to live his will in the context in which you find yourself. May God give you those tools that are needed, everything good, that you need in order to live his will out in this world. So let's look at the tools that we're given. They're pretty easy to find in the Bible. We're just going to run through uh, uh, a few of them, a bunch of them. Um, I, you never know what word to use because you don't want to, like people going, how many is he going to go through? How long do we have to sit here? Um, we'll sit here just enough, okay? So um, here's, here's the first one. The first tool, the, the, this wonderful, everything good that we're given in order to live his story in our life is the gift of salvation. We've referenced the passage before, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, not by works. It is the gift of God so that nobody can boast. God gives you the gift of salvation that you might be able to do as well. In fact, verse 10, for we are uh, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, that we might do good works, which he's prepared for us before, and that we might live his will out. We've been saved, you've been saved by God, not your works. It's a gift given to you that you might then be able to do works in this world. Once you were lost, now you're found. By the way, it's a lot easier to do the works and will of God when you're found. Once you were blind, but now you see. It's a lot easier to do the works of God when you can see. Once you were dead, spiritually dead, but simply by saying yes to Jesus Christ, you become spiritually alive, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that we might do the will of God in this world, the gift of salvation. We're also given the gift of the knowledge of God, the gift of the knowledge of God. I love this, uh, how Jesus puts this. So this is in John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Jesus was with his disciples, and he's giving them encouragement. He knows that his death is coming soon, and he knows the resurrection too, but he knows the death is coming soon, so he's giving them encouragement. And he says to them, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Here, here it is. 
if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Knowledge of the Father. What a gift to receive. Okay, so there's this movie that Vicky and I watch every year. It's one of Vicky's favorites, so we just put it on our thing. It's usually around Christmas time while you were sleeping. There's this character in the film, this guy named Joe Jr. And at one point in the film, he turns to Sandra Bullock's character and, you know, says, listen, I've got two tickets to the ice capades. I know a guy. The power of knowing a guy. Where does somebody get two tickets to the ice capades? It's amazing. But it's the power of knowing a guy. Maybe you have people you know. I know somebody. I know somebody who can help you. The fact that we can know the Father. We can know the Father through Jesus Christ. A tool in our tool bag. We know it's more than that. It's a relationship and it's, it's salvation itself. But, but we know the Father. That no matter where we are, we can say, I know a guy. I, I, I know the Father. I've seen the Father in and through Jesus Christ. We're also given the gift of the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, poured out into you because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This gift given. Jesus even said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, all power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, empowered for this world. In addition to salvation, the knowledge of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're given God's Word. We're given Scripture, the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, equipped to do the will of God in this world. Salvation, knowledge of God, the Holy Spirit, God's Word. And then the next one you find is spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. If you want to look it up, you can look up 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4. You, through Jesus Christ, God said, this is my child, and I'm going to give you a spiritual gift. Leadership or administration, encouragement. There's a long list, and the list in the Scripture is not even a complete list. But God says, you are integral to the church, to the body of Christ. And you have a role to play. Every single one that God pours out His grace upon each one of us, giving us gifts to be able to use in the body of Christ, as part of the body of Christ in this world. You've been given a specific tool in the body of Christ around you. Once we were not a people, now we are a people. We are the royal priesthood of God. In addition to spiritual gifts, we've been given a clear purpose. Matthew chapter 5, that you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. Don't hide the light. Let it shine. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Listen, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Now go and make disciples of all people. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And I'll be with you to the very end of the age. We've got a clear, clear purpose in this world. 
that passage, Acts 1.8. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The clear tool is to have a clear purpose that we're about. And finally, that we would have a glorious future. The tool of knowing how it all works out. Knowing where we're going. Knowing what God is bringing about. In the book of Revelation, there's going to be this time when Jesus comes back and all things will be made new. In, in, in the world to come, in the kingdom to come, that there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. And that God himself will be our light. And Jesus says, I will be coming back. I'll be coming back soon. When we began our time this morning, I would mentioned that, that when we talked last week, we said, listen, when these blessings come to us, there's something that's already true about them, that God has already given us. That there's something that we're called to do, something already true, something we're called to do, and then something that we know one day will come through. Already true, called to do, that one day something's going to come through and, and make it even more complete. It, it seems to be true about each of these gifts that with the gift of salvation, it is already done. In fact, we're told in Scripture that even before the beginning of time, way back in the beginning of creation, that God was already predestined. God was already moving toward us uh, um, through, uh, through Christ. We know that we're also called to work out our salvation. We don't earn our salvation, but we work out. We're called to be a part of that, working out in our lives. And we know that one day when Jesus returns, our salvation will have its full blossom in Christ's presence in the world to come. We know that with the knowledge of God that it's already been given, God's already revealed himself, and yet we're called to lean into that knowledge. And we know that one day when Jesus returns, that, that our knowing, now we see through a mirror darkly, one day then we'll see face to face. Our knowledge will increase, but we can be a part of growing that knowledge even now. The same with the Holy Spirit, already been given, but we can learn to grow in that relationship and trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And one day the fellowship with the Holy Spirit will be unencumbered by the challenges and obstacles of this world. The gift of God's Word, already given. God's already revealed Himself, yet we can learn it and, and, and incorporate it, make use of it and grow in it. And knowing that one day all the promises that are in Scripture, one day those will all be fulfilled. Spiritual gifts, um, same thing that there's been given. We learn to grow in them. And one day that we know we will be set aside to worship God for all of eternity um, and made right for that time. Clear purpose, already given, choosing to live in it, knowing that purpose will be fulfilled one day. And a future, the, the future is already given, already guaranteed. And yet we have to live in this time of the already and the not yet where we anticipate and we trust it. Already been given, already guaranteed, but we have to trust it in this moment knowing that one day we'll experience it in its fullness. Already, now, still to come. Already true. Something we're called to do. Something that one day will come all the way through. So this is your tool bag. These are your tools. Maybe we can go through Scripture and find some additional ones. But everything good that you need to do the will of God is given to you. It's already true. It's, yes, we're called to learning to access it and to make use of it. And then one day it'll all be fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. There's a tool that I have at home. Um, if I used it more often, I would know how to use it better. But as it is now, I use it... Um, Far too infrequently, especially according to, to my wife, 
Um, uh, we both like sharp kitchen knives, and so I picked up a, a, a sharpener. You know, it has a little belt and a little motor, and you have to get the right angle, and you have to set the whole thing up. And, and ideally, ideally, I'm doing this at least once a month, at least once a month, because sharp knives in the kitchen is a good thing. But I'm probably doing it more like once every three or four months, and I have to look at the instructions. So how do we, how do, if we've been given these amazing tools that God has given us, how do we um, get good at it? How, how, do we, how do we become competent in using those tools? Jesus, Jesus gave us just a quick, clear answer. He said, abide in me. Chapter 15, 15 of John's gospel, abide in me. That's all we have to do. Abide in Jesus. Just stay close to Jesus. Keep turning toward Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep learning his words, what he taught, what he did. Keep trusting him. Keep representing his love in this world. The more we abide in Jesus and stay under Jesus, stay with Jesus, stand upon Jesus, the more we abide in Jesus, the more we learn the tool of salvation and God's word and and the uh, future glory and all these different things. The more we learn those things, So we pick up the whole idea of abiding in Jesus every single day. One last thing. It goes back to our text. The author adds this line, God working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. It's all God's story. It's all about God's story. God's the main character. So that even the gift of everything good that we might do the will of God. It's God working his story in our lives, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So let's take up our tools. Let's take up our blessings. Let's take up everything good that God has given us. And let's choose to seek the city to come. And let's choose to live as these living sacrifices of praise to God. And let's choose, as we live out the story that God writes, to do good and to share what we have. Let's pray together. Father, you are the giver of amazing gifts. And even more, you are the one who writes the most amazing story ever. You know our tendency to want to be our own authors, to write out our own way. God, the next time we find ourselves in a heated discussion and we have that choice to go your way or our way, would you remind us of the story you're writing, of the tools you've given us, that we might live your story in that moment? God, the next time we have a decision that we have that we're just making a choice between two alternatives, may we always choose your story, whichever alternative we happen to step into. May we always choose your story. And we thank you for the gifts, the good thing, everything good that you've given us, that indeed we might live your will in this world. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.